0: Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you're about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Today we're going to dig in a little bit. We're going to get about five verses in because it's a wild, wild passage. And I titled this Jesus Meets the Walking Dead. Jesus Meets the Walking Dead. You know where I'm going to go with that. Mark 5, 1 to 5. If you've ever watched Walking Dead or any of the zombie movies, you get the point that the, these, these walk, people are walking dead. They're, they're walkers. They're decaying on their feet. They're vicious. They just want to devour other people that are still alive. But what's really scary about the whole Walking Dead and the zombie thing, what's really scary is that there really are people like that. Out there, we're going to see Jesus confront one here in this passage today. He's going to confront one. But what's even scarier for us is that we are all like this spiritually before we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Before Jesus sets us free, this is a spiritual picture of who we are and what we are before we come to Christ, before we give our life to Him. Let me pray first. Father, we thank you for the worship we thank you for this Christmas season, we thank you for the many blessings, and we thank you for bringing us here today. We know every one of us is here for a purpose, that you've brought us together to, for this particular passage in scripture, so that we can be free in Jesus Christ. We pray for your mercy and grace. As we look at it, we pray that your spirit would speak to us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read the The passage, once again, and then we'll zero in on the the five verses. But the passage, in case you missed it last week, the healing of the demon-possessed man, verse 1. They went across the, the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you you won't torture me. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell him how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to, to, to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Ooh, Well, this is going to take us a while to get through, because it's a, a lot of stuff in there, right? But the... Uh, but. Mark here says that Jesus dealt with one demon-possessed man. It says the same thing in Luke, but if you look at Matthew, there are two demon-possessed men, and so a lot of people say, "Oh, see, the Bible's got mistakes and errors, and they didn't even know what was really going on." But, but that's just that's that's totally misunderstanding uh, the Bible or the people that wrote it. Understanding the 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 key to understand the Bible is to understand the culture of the people that wrote it. Yes, they wrote through the, the Holy Spirit was leading them, but they also had a certain culture. And we think, in USA Today, we think in linear. And we think investigative reporting in every detail, and we think linear. Right? We just go, go in a straight line. But the Middle Eastern mind, at the time of Jesus, the way they wrote things, is, was, was not in the same chronological order. They would move events in teaching to fit their emphasis or their purpose. They still do it. It's a whole different way of thinking. And so you would see here the, the parables all bunched together. But that doesn't mean Jesus taught them all together. That was just the way that Mark bunched them for the teaching. We see miracles that were in one place in Matthew, in a different place in Mark, in a different place in Luke, because the, the writer was moving the miracle to make a point, an emphasis, a purpose, as the Holy Spirit was leading them. It, if you read the, the New Testament in Greek, it's written in Greek, you understand what I'm talking about. We, when we write something in English, we write subject, verb, object, the boy through the ball. That's how we write it. But, and if you read the Greek Bible, the, what it's written in, the biblical Greek, it, uh, they just shotgun the words onto the page. The, the sentences are just shotgun. They're, they're all, there's no subject, verb, Object. You have to look at the ending of the word and see what the ending is, and that's how you determine if it's the subject, the verb, or the object. And the reason they do that is because they put a a certain word at the beginning of the sentence to emphasize that that person or that thing. So it's a whole different way of thinking. If you ever studied Russian literature, you know what I'm talking about. It's like so confusing sometimes because they think different. Every culture thinks different, and that's what what has happened here. That, that you have to understand this whole part of it. Um, okay, well, look, look, say it this way. It's the same when they're telling a story here in the Bible. There were two demoniacs that Jesus healed, but Mark only mentions one because he picks out one to make the point that the Holy Spirit is leading him to make. He only needed one of the guys. The other guy wasn't needed for the emphasis that he had. We do the same thing when we tell stories. Uh, Christmas is coming, and I know on Christmas Day, I'm going to call my parents, and they're going to say, they're going to start asking me questions. And when, we, when my parents call, my, my dad will get on the phone, and he'll say, now, what happened? And he'll expect me to tell, he, he goes right down the list. What did Ryan do? What did Matthew get? What did Megan get? He'll we go right down the list, and he'll want to know what everybody got. and what, every, every single kid, we go through all 13 children, all right? It's a long phone call. So then, <clears throat> but then he puts my mom on the phone. Mom said, my mom says, what happened? And I will tell her, I will pick out, she doesn't want to go through all 13 children, right? She just wants to know a couple funny stories. So I'll pick out a couple kids, usually Emily, and I'll pick out a couple and I'll tell what they did. You know, they knocked the tree over, they did this, they, you know, they, you know, whatever. They did something crazy and I'll pick out a couple. So if I were to write those down, those would be two very different stories. But I know there's all 13 children there. My parents know there's all 13, but I'm just emphasizing to a different person a different thing. And you have to understand that with the Bible. That's how the authors were writing, through the power of the Holy Spirit. They were writing with an emphasis in mind, and they were not writing every single detail about Jesus and every single person. So keep that in mind. So that was free, by the way. All right, here we go. so Mark is led by the Holy Spirit to make a special emphasis. And in verses 1 to 5, I'm just going to read the five verses again. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs and in the hills. He would cry out and cut himself with stones. So this man has an evil spirit. In the Greek it actually says an unclean spirit in verse 1 there. He has an unclean an evil spirit. It's a demonic spirit. He lived in the tombs. He lived in the tombs. And the Holy Spirit is telling us this for a reason. Because this is a physical picture of a spiritual condition. The physical picture of his spiritual condition. What is his spiritual condition? He's the walking dead. He's a spiritual zombie. He's a walking dead. We all were walking dead. Or we all are. If we haven't put our faith in Jesus Christ. Did you realize that? Before you put your faith in Jesus Christ, this man is a physical picture of our spiritual condition before God and in this world. In fact, in Ephesians 2, talks about this. In case you don't believe me, in Ephesians 2, it says, verse 1 through 3, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That's what we were. Every one of us. And if you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, that's what you are. We're all, we're all welcome to the human race. That's what we were. That's what we are because of that rebellion against God because of our sin. We are all spiritually z- zombies before we put our faith in Christ. All of us were just like this demoniac. Maybe we weren't totally da- demonized. And if you weren't here last week, we talked about demonization, different degrees of demonization. But we were spiritually dead. And we were following demons. It says that in Ephesians 3. We were following Satan. We were following the world and Satan. That's what we were following. And we were living self-destructive lives. And we were facing God's wrath. Every one of us was like that. And this man here couldn't be cons- controlled. He couldn't be constrained. He, they even tried chains on him, but he just broke them off like they were nothing. You've all heard of steroids. Well, this guy was on demonoids, right? Demonoids. And uh, you, you, his roid rage really turned him into a monster, right? This is what this did to him, his roids rage. Why did they chain him up like an animal? Why? Why? In Matthew chapter 8, it says he was a threat to anybody who traveled in that area. In Matthew 8, 28, he was so violent that no one could go near that, near the, that area because he would, attack, he would attack them. So they chained him up like an animal. It's how the world still deals with demoniacs, by the way. Much of the world still deals with demoniacs this way. I saw an article in, in the news a while back. I stuck it in this passage here. It says, welfare workers to free chain-naked man. Bangkok. This is in Bangkok. A mentally impaired man whose wife has kept him naked in chains in a cage for 40 years will be released and sent to a mental hospital. A Thai social welfare official said. Um, Let's see. Came after a, a newspaper printed his the picture of this emaciated man. They identified him, said he had been chained and imprisoned by his wife for 40 years. His wife told the newspaper that her husband had suffered from a mental disorder since 1957 when she was forced to chain him down in order to prevent him from harming other people. The world, many parts of the world, if you travel, and and usually with the demoniacs, they still, that's how they deal. And you say, well, that's really cruel. Well, we don't do a whole lot better job in the United States, do we? with someone who's struggling with demonization. Even in the, even in the U.S., we put many people of uh, these people that that Jesus freed, we put them in prisons. And and there's a large, if you've ever been involved in prison ministry, you know there's people there. Not everybody in prison is demon-possessed or de- demonized is the word in the Bible. different degrees of demonization. But not everybody is. But there's a lot of people. In fact, there's a whole section of prison where there's plexiglass over the cells because the people are so dangerous that you can't even walk by. They'll reach out if there's not a plexiglass covering or they'll expectrate all kinds of things at, at other people and, and try to hurt people. That's what, that's what many in prison, many are in mental hospitals. Not everybody in the mental hospital is demonized. I'm not saying that, but uh, there's a number of people that are in the mental hospitals that are demonized or we drug them up We just make drug them up so much that they can't hurt anybody or hurt themselves. Once again, I'm not saying all mental illness is from demons. If you go home and say that to anybody, I'm not going to be happy. I want to be clear on that. But a percentage of mental illness is clearly demonic. Clearly, clearly demonic. A percentage is. Some, Some is definitely that. But we can't help someone if we don't recognize what it is, Jesus recognized this was a demon, and he dealt with it demonically. But we, we explain everything away. We explain even demon possessions, how we explain it in our culture today. Mental illness. We, cycle, we put it in some kind of psycho psychiatric box, right? That's what we do it. Even many so-called Christians do that. I was in a pastor's meeting. I was invited to one when I was up in New England, and I was invited to this pastor's meeting, and I, it was the first time I'd ever been to this particular group. I didn't know anybody there, and I sat down, and, and uh, we started talking. I don't even know how it came up, but somehow demon possession came up. And there were several women sitting there. They were pastors, um, and they, were, um, they said, well, I think Jesus was a little mixed up. What he called demon possession, we would just call mental illness today. That's really all it was. You can imagine how I responded. Uh, I was never invited back. But, uh, <clears throat> but, but I started thinking of them as not pastors but priestess because they were not from Christianity by, by a long stretch. This, the whole group was Christianity with a K, right? And it was not biblical Christianity that they were spouting. And, and, uh, and after it was all done, one of the guys came up to me. I ended up being friends with for a long time. He came up and said, oh, just so you know, I'm one of you. I'm one of you. <laughs> I believe the Bible, too, is what he was trying to tell me. But even, even so, many, so many so-called many so Christians don't even recognize it. They dismiss it. And once, once again, there is, a, there is mental illness, but there's also demonization. And we must discern with, with spiritual warfare, is this mental illness? Is this... Demonization? Is it a combination? Sometimes it's a combination, but it's important to make that part of the equation because it is biblically part of the equation. Sometimes Jesus just healed somebody who was sick, they were just sick. Other times he cast out a demon that was causing the sickness. It, sometimes it was physical sickness, sometimes it was a demon. It's important that we as Christians learn to discern. Learn to discern. So the chains didn't work, he wouldn't wear them, he wouldn't wear anything. Luke 8 says he was naked. This guy was naked. He just wandered among the tombs, crying out in agony and cutting himself. He's crying out because he's in agony and he's cutting himself. And self-destructive behavior is often a cry for help, isn't it? It's almost always a cry for help, self-destructive behavior. And it's often a sign of spiritual attack. It's often a sign, and we miss that a lot. You know, this guy's cutting. Look at what's going on in our culture today. It's so common, the cutting, right? Uh, Self destructive behavior like eating disorders. Yeah, I know a lot of people here struggle with eating disorders, but, but that's another sign that there's a stronghold. That's not a demon possession. Do they hear me? I'm not saying the word you know, it's possession or demonization, but it's a stronghold. It's, it, it, it definitely can become a stronghold. Suicidal thoughts. Look for the spiritual connection to a stronghold. Uh, addictions, any kind of addiction that's hurting somebody, look for the connection. I, I was once ministering to someone, and it was a girl who had an eating disorder, and I talked about this, and I Gave her the victory over the darkness and the bondage breaker books. And she wrote me later. She was in another state. I was traveling around speaking at the time. And she wrote and said, I just want you to know I found freedom. Uh, someone in my church, another woman, took me through the victory over the darkness book, bondage breaker books. And I no longer have the eating disorder because it was a spiritual bondage for me. And when I broke that spiritual bondage, I was free. Another sexu- sexually risky behavior. Anything that's risky, anything that's destructive, that can point to us it does point to to spiritual strongholds. There was a young man that I was ministering to, he came from a very rough background, and he was terrified that he had HIV, because he was so sexually active, he went to prostitutes all the time. Very, very, very dangerous activity he was doing. And I finally took him to the doctor, and and I got him an, an AIDS test, and this was 20 years ago, and it was like a whole different thing. And The doctor said, you got a clean bill of health. He was so happy. He was crying. I was hugging him. He was just so, so happy. He didn't have AIDS. About a week later, he came into my office, freaked out again. He said, I went back to the prostitutes. So terrified again, scared. I'm like, why would you do that? He's like, I go, that's risky. He goes, I know. I don't know why I'm doing it. And and as we talked, we started to discern there was a spiritual battle going on. And I said, let's pray that you'd be set free from this. And I just started to pray for him, put my hand on him, started to pray for him. And he starts going into these, like, convulsions and starts throwing up. I grabbed my, gar- my garbage bag He's throwing up in the garbage can, you know. Because it was, you know what, it, is? it was a spiritual stronghold in his life. It was a spiritual battle. It was spiritual warfare. And, and until we recognize that, people can't be set free. Now, yes, now get this. Self-destructive behavior also points to emotional and mental struggles. I'm not dismissing that. You know, a lot of the reasons we get started on this self-destructive behavior is because of an emotional or a mental struggle that we're having. But what happens is then Satan can attack that weak point and, and make it a stronghold that goes from a temptation to a stronghold. Last week we talked about strongholds. Ephesians 4, and 27, where it says... Do we have that one, Andrew? Ephesians 4, 26. Andrew just got off the plane, but he's doing a great job. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down. We are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. And we talked about how with anger or bitterness, we can give the devil a foothold in our life. And that foot, it could be anything, though. It just, that's just anger. But it could be anything that we could give him a foothold. This, a temptation can become a foothold if we allow that fiery dart to burn without dousing it, that becomes a foothold. And in time, the foothold becomes a spiritual stronghold. And if we allow it long enough and deep enough, it's not one week, it's, it's long term. If we allow that stronghold to take hold long enough and deep enough, we get some degree of demonization. That's what happens. And we must figure out, that's why it's so important, we have to figure out what's making us vulnerable. What's making us vulnerable emotionally, mentally, physically. We are all vulnerable. Every one of us is vulnerable to the footholds, right? Every one of us spiritually. That's why counseling is so important, whether it's a counselor or whether it's another Christian brother or sister, someone that can help you through, figure this out. And then we have to break the stronghold spiritually. Break it spiritually. That's why a solid Christian counselor, not just someone who's, but a solid Christian counselor is very, very important. We talked about this last week, repenting, renouncing, resisting, and renewing, the four R's. Once again, if you weren't here, get the CD, and if you need to talk to someone, I'm here, talk to Kim, a lot of people here, we could help you with this. But it's very important we break those strongholds, because you see, Satan's whole goal is to get us to hurt ourselves or someone else. Just like the demoniac. That's his whole goal. But Jesus Christ has another goal for our life. In John 10.10 10, it shows the two goals. In John 10.10 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have, they may have life and have it to the full. The thief is coming to destroy. Jesus came to give us life. And not just life, but have a full life. To achieve our full purpose that God has for our life. That's whole, God's whole goal for us. That's Jesus. That's why he came. To give us that. That's why Jesus came at Christmas. To set us free. Remember Ephesians 2? We talked talk about being the walking dead. But let's look at the next couple of verses there in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. This, where he says, <clears throat> But because of his great love for us, I'm going to read that again. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. He came to set us free. Are you free this Christmas? Do you want to be free this Christmas? The first step to being free is to be saved. The Bible says to be saved from sin, saved from Satan, saved from the slavery, saved from the judgment. How are we saved? Ephesians 2, a couple more verses down. In verse 8 it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You cannot save yourself spiritually, no matter how good you try to be, it's impossible. Not by works. We're saved by putting our faith in God's grace. And that God's grace is a gift. It's the gift he gave his son Jesus, who was born at Christmas, who died on the cross in our place to break the power of sin in our life, to break Satan's power in our life. That's why Jesus came and he died in our place. If we will put our faith in him, the word for faith in the Bible means to cling to, to put your total trust in, to completely depend on. If we will say, God, I am putting my total trust in your son Jesus, his death on that cross for me, to pay for my sin, to break Satan's power in my life, if we take that step of faith, we are saved. The Bible says we are saved and set free. And after we take that step, after we become a Christian, that's, just, that's the first step of salvation, but then we have to learn to live free. Maybe you've already put your faith in Christ, but are we learning to live free? We have to break the strongholds in our life by, by God's mercy and grace. We no longer turn to those self-destructive habits when we're in pain. We all feel pain, don't we? But there's certain that there we can turn to a self-destructive habit, like alcohol. That's an easy one. It's a big problem in our culture. So many of us used to turn to alcohol, which just made things worse, instead of turning to Jesus. We no longer turn to that. We no longer lash out at other people, just like this demoniac lashing out at people. We no longer have to lash out at others when we're hurting, causing them to avoid us, just like the demoniac, right? We lash out at people, they avoid us, just like everybody avoided the demoniac here in the tombs. Instead of that, we turn to our Heavenly Father when we're in pain. And we turn to Jesus for that mercy and grace. And we call out to Him when we're hurting. We turn to Him. And I want to encourage everyone here at this Christmas season to get your healing. To get your healing. It, it's, it, it's so easy just to learn to live with the pain, to, live, to learn to live with our strongholds to learn to live with a life that's not what God intends for us, what Jesus intends for us, that full life that he talked about in John 10.10. 10. I want to encourage you to get your healing. Get it through the word. Get it through prayer. Open up to another brother or sister in Christ. Talk to me. Talk to Kim. If we can't help you, we'll connect you with someone that can, you know, or a good you know, resource, something. But it's a lifelong process. The key is to keep moving forward keep moving forward. We're not about perfection, we're about progress, right? We're not going to be perfect till we get to heaven, but it's about progress. That yeah, keep moving forward. And 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 it's it it's so important that we don't stop moving forward that we get our healing. I was talking to someone in the church. It was Lena. I was talking to Lena uh, about a year ago maybe, 2 years ago, and and no one has gone No one has been more wounded than Linnell. You've all heard his story. Linnell, come on, I'm just going to have you say a couple words here to to back me up on this. No one's been more wounded. You may have been as wounded, but not more wounded, right? It's possible you've been as wounded. No one has had to work through more pain and struggle struggle than Linnell. You may have had to work through the same, but not more. I'm I'm pretty certain of that. But I remember Linnell has kept moving forward, kept moving forward. I remember being on the talking to him not too long ago, about a year ago, and and he was kind of hit a wall and I remember just saying to him, Linnell, you've come so far, now get your healing. And he goes, but bu- I go, Linnell, get your healing. And, and and every every answer, every excuse he came up, I said, Linnell, get your healing. I just remember him saying, get your healing and finally the Holy Spirit Broke through and back me up on
1: this. Back, give, give him a, a little word on this. Thank you, Pastor Chuck. And good morning, family. First of all, I want to give God praise because he's so good. He has been so good to me. And I'm so glad that I'm not in darkness today. Because I walked around just like Pastor Chuck said, in darkness and filth and doing whatever I thought was to do. And didn't care what nobody else didn't feel, feel because I didn't feel good about myself because I was taught that I was nothing. And that is how I live like nothing. But I'm here to tell you that you know what? God touched me and changed my life. I'm a brand new person today, especially by coming in here to Pastor Chuck's ministry and this family in here. And it's going on 13 years. I have not turned back only through the grace of God. Only through the grace of God. My whole life is new. I've been changed by the grace of God. And I'm standing here right now. I had a very bad week this week on dialysis, as you know, and I know I was coming to church today, praise God. But you know what? If this is my last moment, it's okay. I'm praising God and giving him thanks. And I ask you all to keep me in prayer because it is a battle. Even when I'm a Christian, I realize, like you said, we still get those temptations, that ugliness ugliness raises the head all the time. But just because I'm on this solid ground and I know that God will never leave me for a second, you know what else I learned to? To pray. Because he always comes through when I pray. I don't care what the illness I have. I'm up and down. I have a lot of physical and mental illness. I had a kidney transplant. That failed. I have a dial. I'm on dialysis now. My liver is failing. Oh, so many things are going on. But you know what? I learned to pray. And I learned to reach out to ask people to pray for me. And guess what? He always comes through. That's why I'm standing here right now as sick as I am. Because God is great and he is so good. I get emotion just like people go to the football game and baseball. Game. I get excited when I, heard, when I hear Jesus' name. I'll save you. No one can save you like Jesus can. Nobody. Let me tell you, I was out there in dark doing everything you think to please others. I wound up with HIV, using drugs, and none of it satisfied me because I no, knew something was wrong. But you know what? I was moaning and groaning asking God to take that away from me. Because I wasn't able to change or do anything. If I went away, I would come back into that, those demons, like Pastor Chuck said, and do it all over. But one day, God just lifted me up and opened my eyes and brought me on this path. And it's a solid ground. And I'm not doing it. He's keeping me because you know why? I'm his child. And I'm so glad he chose me because I'm unable to do it for myself. I depend on him for everything. He meets all my needs. He gave me a family I never had before, all of my deceased. Didn't feel good about myself, but even in my sickness, I still feel good. Because I rejoice. You know why I rejoice? Because I know he's right there. And I know when I pass through this journey, I know that I'm gonna meet him. I will behold him. And he said, you're welcome. And you know what? I refuse to lose faith. Faith. Because it takes faith and believe. And I learned by coming here, Pastor Shelton, in your ministry, I learned how to keep that faith. God gave me a whole new family, a whole new path, things I never even had before in my life. That's how good God is. Am I worthy for it? No, it's just his mercy and grace. He loves all of us. All that worldly stuff that goes out in the world, you know what? In the end, you will have nothing. You have lost everything. You lost your body. I'm really blessed because some didn't even make it. There are some people walking down the street and they are babbling out of their head and you know it could be me. I go to dialysis really intense, but every day I ask the Lord, please bring me through, and he do. We all need the Lord. We are lost without God. When I get to that place where I don't know where to go, you know what, I just reach out to him and say, Lord, help me, please, because I'm unable to do it for myself. When temptation comes, I say, Lord, take that away from me, please. Because as a Christian it still happens, but you know what? I know I don't have to be that way ever and again, because he have touched me. And when you get touched by Christ, you are saved. God bless. Thank you. If you
0: if you ever needing if you ever need encouragement. Call him now, he's the encourager. I call him whenever I need encouragement. He pumps me up, so by God's Holy Spirit, it's awesome. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us today as we go to this time of prayer? Maybe he's calling you to take the first step and to be saved through faith in his grace. Maybe you've never taken that step of faith. You've been religious or you've tried to be, live a good life but you realize it's not going to get you anywhere. There's only one way. That's faith in Jesus Christ. Right where you're sitting, you can pray the prayer of faith just between you and God. There's no magic prayer, but something like this. God, I I want to act on your love for me. I want to be saved. I want to be set free. I want to live the life you created me to live. Fulfilling my purpose. Your purpose for me. I don't want to be dead anymore. I want to be alive. I put... I repent of my sin and I put my faith in Jesus to forgive me I give my life to Jesus Christ if you've taken that step of faith this morning you've just become alive you've just been transformed I want to encourage you to let somebody know So tell me on the way out, fill out the card tell someone you came with, tell somebody so we can be excited for you and help you grow in your new faith? For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is God speaking to us? I pray that you'll look back at this day and say, that's the day I got my healing. It starts with prayer and repentance, the renouncing, the renewing, the resisting. But would you commit to God, say, God, I need healing. Set me free, Jesus. Heal me. Show me who to talk to. Show me who can help me. I need your mercy and grace. Father, I know this is a heavy passage, but it's really perfect for Christmas because it shows why you sent your son, because you loved us so much, to sacrifice your son. So that we could live free. And I pray that each person here, every one of us, would be saved and live free in Jesus Christ. I pray that we would look back to this morning and remember that that's when the healing started. pray that in Jesus' name.